0: I remember when? I remember when I lost my mind. It was when the Packers decided not to do whatever it took to keep Aaron Rodgers, and now he wants to go to play for some other stupid team. That's crazy. What's wrong with them? Crazy though. I love the word crazy. Crazy has a lot of meanings. That girl's hair is crazy. If you order olives on your pizza, you're crazy. And I'm, I'm serious about that, you're a monster. Um, if you didn't like that movie, you're crazy. But it gets a, it, then it gets a little more serious. How many of you guys remember, you woke up uh, a couple weeks ago and you saw the gigantic cloud from Chemtool. Was that crazy? That was crazy. Like Jesus was coming back today. Crazy, and so, um, but but it gets even more serious than that. The you think about the epidemic of mass shootings in our society that is crazy. You think about the about the way that people reacted to this pandemic that was cr- on both sides that was just crazy. And then you wonder, you know, what the, the actual beginnings of that word. We used to use that word to describe people who were mentally ill. Now we wouldn't do that anymore because we understand a whole lot more about it now. We understand that, uh, you know, I wouldn't call somebody who struggles with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, we wouldn't call them crazy because we know there are, there are biological, physiological, chemical things that are happening inside of their body that, that keep them locked in those experiences. And so, so really now the, the word crazy just means you're weird. Right? Crazy just means there are like there are rules of our society that you are not interested in following. Crazy just means you're not normal. Right? And um and, and listen. Uh one of the reasons why I wanted to choose this song and I wanted to choose this um this topic was because I believe that everybody is crazy to somebody else. Everybody is crazy to somebody. Now, I know you think you're normal. I get that. You feel really normal. But the truth is, there's somebody on the other side of the world, on the other side of the city, on the other side of the street, who thinks you are nuts. The way that you believe, the way that you talk, the way that you think is wrong, that you're crazy. And and I want to say this too. Listen, if um if you're if you're in this place and you don't know what you think about Jesus, you don't know what you think about God and you're just kind of checking things out. First of all, we just want to say welcome. Man, this is like the perfect place for you to be. Nobody's going to kick you or beat you over the head with the Bible or anything, you know. We just hope that you get a chance to to explore and and figure out what you think. But here's the thing, if you are that and you're not sure what you believe, sometimes you look in on these people and you think these people are weird. These people are crazy. And I got to tell you, if you're a Christian, I don't want to I don't want to hurt your feelings. But what you believe is weird. Did you know that? We believe that God impregnated a teenager. That's crazy. Do you hear what I'm saying? We believe that there is there was this guy who lived 2000 years ago and he wasn't just any dude. He he was God himself. He he died, he raised from the dead, but that's not the weirdest part. You know what the weirdest part is? We believe he talks to us. Right? That's weird. It's okay. And so listen, if you're here for the first time and you're not sure what you think and you think these people think they got it all together and they know what they're, listen, we know we're weird. We're not normal and that's okay. And I want to dig into what that means today by digging into the story of a man that lived a long time before Jesus. So we're talking like almost 3,000 years ago. A guy named King David. Now he was the, it, it, this was right the beginning of his reign as king. And he, he was going to solidify his base. And he was gonna, go, going to going to create a place where he, where, where he would have a capital city. And that capital city was going to be Jerusalem. Now it hadn't been the capital until that point. As a matter of fact, things had kind of just been all over the place for the Israelites until that point. And and so he decided we're going to have this city where, where all of the sort of the political power and the spiritual life of our nation is going to be centered. And that city is going to be Jerusalem. And he also said, knowing that, that it needs to become the, the center of all of the spiritual life of our people, we, I need to bring a box here. And it's not just any box. It's like the... It's like the place where God lives. And okay, it was a box, but it was a special box. It was called the Ark of the Covenant. How many of you guys have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, the very first one? Raise your hands. You're all old like me. You're all old. That's an old movie. You don't think it's old. It's old. Okay, you're not old. You're cool. You're not old. Um, All right because it's retro, right? It's cool because it's retro. Okay. Um, no, 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 but but here's the thing. If you've seen that movie, you know that the Ark of the Covenant melts your face, right? Like it melts your face. And uh, listen, super cool. Not exactly biblical, but very cool. Um, <clears throat> Okay, but, but that's the Ark. That's what we're talking about. It's a box. It's got a couple of cherubim on the top of it. It's got, a couple of, it's got some rings that they put some rods through. And inside this box houses the very presence of God. It is not just any box. And God gave them very specific instructions about this box and how it's supposed to be handled because, because it's a very special box. And so David says, this this box, this, the presence of God has got to come and live in Jerusalem with me. Make sense? So he sets off and he sends a group of guys, the Levites, the right kind of people, who are supposed to go and get the box and bring it to him. Well, these, these Levites go and they, um, they go get the box. And, and, you know, like I said, there's very specific handling instructions. Nobody but the Levites is supposed to touch the box. They decide, you know what? It is a very long walk to Jerusalem. And the idea of hoisting this thing up on our shoulders and walking it all the way there, let's get a cart. Work smarter, not harder, right? Makes sense. So they get the thing and they put it up on the cart and everything's going good. And they're walking to Jerusalem. And there was this guy walking right next to the cart. His name was Uzzah. And I love Uzzah. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. His story is very short. But He's walking next to the, to the Ark of the Covenant with this. This is God. And Uzzah's a good guy. Listen, Uzzah's not a bad guy. Uzzah is excited about, about the opportunity to walk alongside. Oh my goodness, this is God himself right here in this box. And so he is walking alongside and the, and the cart hits a bump in the road. And it starts to slip, the, the Ark, starts to slip. Now pause the movie in your brain for just a second here. Here's the thing. You're next to the ark. You're next to, the, to this, the, to God himself. God is about to fall on the ground. What are you going to do? You're going to reach up and try to save God, right? And so I, I don't think he decided. I think it was just a reflex. It's fallen down. Pick it up. He touches it, and his face melts off. Okay, not exactly, but here's what we do know. We do know in that moment, he dies like that. Boom, dead, the end. His story is very short. <laughs> but here's the thing, he's not a bad guy. What was he doing? God has fallen on the ground, I gotta, I gotta save him. And he's dead, because this thing is so Powerful, and word gets back to King David about what happened, and he freaks out. He is petrified. Let's, keep, let's read this. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6 says this, David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom. Problem solved. Scary death box not coming to live with me, right? Let's keep reading. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. It was like everything he did turned to gold. It was like everything he touched went well. His crops were doing good. He won the lottery. Okay, there wasn't a lottery, but he did really well. I mean, things were going great for Obed Edom. And um, where am I at? Uh, the Lord, oh, and now King David was told the Lord has blessed the household of Obed Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. And so David was like, I got to get me some of that. You know, you loosely translated from the Hebrew. Um, but here's the truth David was at the same time both petrified of this ark and desperate for the blessing that it brought all at the same time. And I got to tell you, I think this is a perfect picture of of a healthy understanding of our God. Because the truth is, did you know that if if we got to stand face to face with God right now, our faces would melt off? I mean, he is perfect. He's holy. We can't stand in 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 the presence of a holy God. He is terrifying. We would be terrified. And he is personal and intimate. And his presence comes and dwells and brings blessing all at the same time. That's a healthy understanding of who God is. And that's where David was living. He was desperate for a thing that he was petrified of. And so he went about making a plan to do this right. We're going to bring it back. We're going to bring it to Jerusalem, but we're going to do it right. And in the middle of the plan, when he's doing that, that's when he gets a little swept up, a little carried away, and he goes a little crazy. Let's, uh, let's read a little bit here. Um, so David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David, that's Jerusalem, with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. Everybody say, with all his might with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. How many of you guys have ever seen Ray, our teaching pastor, dance? Anybody ever seen him dance? So Ray and I were at the club the other day, you know like we do, and, uh, and man, I'll tell you what, he was going hard. He was going hard. His arms were flying, his, his tongue was hanging out of his His butt was doing things I can't talk about in church. (laughs) You're welcome, friend. uh, No, no, no. But this is how David was dancing. This is King David. He was going hard with all his might. He didn't care. He didn't care what people thought. He didn't care what he looked like. He was going hard with all his might, dancing before the Lord. Because he was petrified of this thing. He wanted to do it right, but he was desperate for the blessing that came with it. So, whatever it took. How many of you guys actually believe I went to a club with Ray? Have you ever, can, can you possibly picture me at a club? Let's be real. Okay, all right. <laughs> let's keep, let's. So, so, wait, so David's dancing, he's going nuts. And then, and he doesn't really care what anybody thinks. I mean, he doesn't care if anybody thinks he looks like a complete idiot. Unfortunately, there was one important person who thought he looked like a complete idiot, and that was his wife. And he goes home and has the same conversation I've had with my wife when I do stupid crap. You know what I'm saying? He goes home and his, his wife Michal says, oh, let's just read it. It says, when David returned home to bless his household, wait, before I say this, there's not very many places in the Bible where you get real sarcasm, but man, Michal is just dripping with sarcasm. Let's read. Okay. So he goes home to bless his household. Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, well, well, well. How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Oh, that's good. I've had this conversation. Okay, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his students, of servants as any vulgar fellow would. And David said, you don't get it. David says... I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. His wife, God bless her, right? Here's the thing. She is the daughter of a king. She knows how kings are supposed to act, right? She knows what it takes to be a king. She saw it her whole life. And David comes home and she says, You don't know what it takes to be a king. What is wrong with you? Look at all the other kings. Look at how they act. Look at my father. Look at how he acted. What are you doing? You've got to be respected. You can't go and dance like a crazy, dance like Ray in front of all these people. (laughs) You can't do that and then expect to get respect. You're a king. You got to do king things, and he says, "No, no." She says, "He says, listen, listen, Mikhail, you don't understand. None of it matters if I don't have the presence. Amen. None of that other stuff. I mean, I know, I know what's normal. I know what normal is. I know what king stuff is supposed to be. But the truth is, none of it matters if I don't get the presence." So he says, I, I, I know that you think you know what's important, but you don't. Here's what's important. So he went a little crazy. He was, I mean, that's, that's the definition of crazy. There's a normal, and he wasn't it. He refused to give in to normal. And I got to tell you, if, um, if you grew up believing that you got to take care of yourself, that nobody's going to take care of you, that, um, that you got to take care of you and yours before everybody, that, that you got to play the game, and if you got to step on a couple of people on your way up, that's just how the game is played in the world that we live in, and life goes on. I get that. Listen, that's the way, that's the, the truth is, you're right. That is the world we live in. You step on who you need to step on to get ahead. That makes sense. But then, if that's what you grew up with, if that's the the thing that you understand in your life, then you hear Jesus and his teaching and the truth is, it sounds crazy. Jesus says, love your enemies. That is crazy. Jesus says, put other people's needs before your own needs. That is crazy. Jesus says, take a 10th of what you earn and give it away, that's ludicrous. And so um, we think, though, that it's new, that this idea that following Jesus is so anti-culture, anti-everything that we see outside of this place. But the truth is, it was the same way uh, for the Apostle Paul. Here's how he wrote about it. Here's how he wrote about what people outside of the church thought about people inside of the church. Here's what he said. He said, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. The cross, that story of a man who would go to the cross on purpose and give up his life on purpose. The people in his day Couldn't understand it. Nobody would do that. Nobody would go to the cross. That's crazy talk. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, the message of the cross, the love your enemies, the give yourself up for another person, that is where the power is. The crazy is where the power lies. And so... um, the same is true today, as was then. The message of the cross is ludicrous to our culture. And, and part of the reason why it's true today is that for good or bad, science has become our God. And by that, what I really just mean is that science is the only thing that nowadays, for the last hundred or so years, science is the only thing that gets to decide what's true and what isn't true. The only stuff that exists is the stuff that I can see or measure or test, right? That's what science says. And I get it, because that makes sense. And it feels like that doesn't take any faith whatsoever to believe in. And let me stop for a second. Because I, I want to make sure that everybody understands. I am not anti-science. As a matter of fact, I freaking love science. Like, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a junkie. If you look on my phone, I've got podcasts that are all about science. I love science. I, I'm so interested in it. And there, you know, recently in the last few decades, this idea came out that science and God are, like, at war with each other. And I call bull on that. I love science. I I want every scientist who's doing research to dig as deeply as they can. I want them to test and test and and ask questions and dig and dig because every time they come up with a new discovery, I learn more about my God. They're not against God. Every discovery that they make about about the creation lets me know how amazing my creator is. Every time they, they, they give me an understanding about how people's brains work, I, when you study the brain, it is like, like it explodes your brain. It's, it is amazing. And I, just, and I don't think that makes me less give, have less faith. It just makes me realize, holy moly, God's amazing. Science is not the problem. The truth is, the problem isn't In believing science, the problem is in believing only science. Because science, as great as it is, is limited. It doesn't answer every question. There are lots of questions that science doesn't get to speak to. Let's let's even just say, let's say that there was a Big Bang. What came before that? Where did the Big Bang come from? How are we going to know what's going to happen after death, right? Does science speak to that? No, because nobody can measure it. Nobody's come back. Well, one has. (laughs) Um, But you can't measure it. There are things that science cannot speak to that are very, very real. And so my point is that believing in only science actually takes just as much faith as believing in a personal God. There's all questions that we don't have answers to. And so the, the, the reality is that um, the question isn't whether, whether or not you have faith because everybody's got faith. Whether you have faith in yourself, whether you have faith in the idea that science will somehow answer all questions if we just give it enough time, that's okay, that's a, that's, but it's also faith right? Everybody's got faith. Or you have faith in God like I do. The question isn't whether or not you're a person of faith, because you are. The question is, what do you put your faith in? And the deeper question is, if you are not crazy like us, if you don't choose our version of crazy, how's your version working for you? You know? Because if, if here's the thing, if the pseudo-intellectual science is God, every man-for-himself culture has things right, if that's real, and if it has things right, how's it working? I mean, sure, it gave you an iPhone, and it lets you travel on an airplane, that's great, but what's it doing for your soul? What's it doing for our society? I mean, if it's right, because it's got control of our culture right now, science is king, If it's great for our culture, how's it doing? Violence is on the rise. Poverty is on the rise. Hate is on the rise. If it's right, how's it working? I'd suggest it's not working so great. And so I'd I'd ask you, you. You have faith in something. Maybe you don't think you're crazy, but how's not crazy working for you? You know, how's your, how is your understanding of the world working for you? I'll tell you this, um, I don't have a perfect life. Sometimes it stinks because of stupid choices that I make. Sometimes it's stuff that just happens that we got to deal with, um, and I'll tell you this, this next thing, I am not a good Christian. I don't know that those people exist. Um, I'm not a good Christian. I try and then I fail miserably and then I try again and then I give up because I feel like I can never get it right and then I, then I try again and that's my life. That's just who I am. And I know that that's been part of me for a long time. But here's what I will tell you. In the moments in my life where I have somehow been able to give myself to the crazy life of Jesus it works do you hear what i'm saying what i'm telling you is that i know that i screw it up a lot but in those moments when i give myself over to the crazy of jesus it works i when i um when i let myself Put my own desires beneath the desires of other people. My inner life is better. When I somehow am able to love my enemies, even though that is not an easy thing to do. When I am somehow able to love my enemies, I have more peace in my life. When I am faithful to God in, being a, in living a generous life, my God supplies all of my needs according to his riches. This is how it works. I'm telling you, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to convince anybody to believe like I believe. You know why? It's crazy. But here's what I'll tell you there's a reason it works. And the reason is because I was created. And the creator is the one who's making the life. That's crazy. Jesus was there when I was made. He made me. He knows me. He knows how I work best. It's why I mean. It sounds like a, that's the that's the crazy moment that you realize that this crazy life is actually the most healthy life I can live. Because it's how I was made in the first place. And the only reason it seems crazy is because everybody else is living a life that they weren't supposed to. King David, his plan was simple. He would mortgage everything for the presence. He would put everything on the line to get the blessing of God. Whatever it takes Didn't matter. I will be even more humiliated than this. I'll do whatever it takes. But I want the presence. I want the blessing. And so the same question is put to you. How's your life working for you? I would say it worked pretty well for David when he mortgaged everything for the blessing. You, you look back at the history of Israel. Where do they look as the height of the kingdom of Israel? King David. For thousands of years, they looked back to him. Why? Because he mortgaged everything for the presence. He wasn't perfect. Oh, we could go through stories. He wasn't perfect. But he kept mortgaging everything for the sake of the crazy life of following God. And the same is, same, option is offered to you and me. And maybe you said yes to that at one point. Maybe it was five years ago. Maybe it was 10 years. Maybe it was 25, 30 years ago. But here's what I know. Normal is so inviting. You know what I mean? Crazy can be hard. Normal, it's so easy to slip back into normal. You are called to be crazy, but man, normal feels good. Normal is buying that thing on Amazon during the pandemic just to make you feel good. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Okay, let's be real. I did it. Anybody else? Anybody buy something just to make yourself feel good? That's ridiculous. And I did it. Why? Because it's no. it felt, it, it made me feel good because normal feels good. I could have taken that money and given it to somebody who needed it. Normal is easy. And I just wondered in your life, where have you given in to normal? Where have you let normal slip back in to who you are? What is it in church? Did you, did you get used to watching church online and church became this thing that was for me and maybe God's saying, man, church isn't for you. That's normal stuff. I want you to live crazy. I want you to think about church for people who are far from me. I want you to think about church for people who are going to come on that weekend in September and are maybe have no clue who Jesus is. And you're going to help them with their kids. You're going to help them in guest services. What, how has normal slipped back in to how you live? Is it, is it, with your, is it in your time with your kids? Do, do you guard that free time that you have really closely? Because you want to take care of yourself. And God's saying, you know what? That's normal stuff. Crazy means you're going to give of yourself for your kids. Where has normal slipped back into your life? Are you you spending money for yourself? Or are you living the crazy life, the crazy generous life of Jesus? I think it's it's worth giving God a moment, don't you? I think it's worth giving God a moment to speak into your heart where normal has slipped back in. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And you know, when we're done with all of this, uh, we've got our, our prayer team down here who would love to pray over you and um, you're welcome to just come down and, and speak to them. But, but before we do that, would you close your eyes, everybody? Everybody close your eyes because I don't want this moment to go by without giving the Holy Spirit a moment to speak into you. God, right here, right now. How has normal slipped back in? What part of the crazy life are you calling me back to today? Father, we don't want to live normal. I'm convinced normal doesn't work. We just... We just want to run after you, the crazy, fun, healthy life that you've called us to. We trust that you're speaking to us, Lord, that you'll keep speaking to us. We thank you and we praise you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.